Hey, yo, what's good? Check it out. This your boy, Elder Sensei, one half of the legendary artifacts. You are right now in tune to my man, Tim Einenkel, at the library on rapstation.com. Let's get it popping, y'all. Artifacts. Peace, Elder Sensei. I'm out. I'm rising like the vapors from the dank. Up the mirror in my pocket, had to break it for a shank. What you think? Walk the flank. Is my mother open attitude? Right hand on the wheel. Well, walk the window, leaning to the left. Boots Riley, the front man for the coup and Street Sweeper Social Club, joins me today on the library on rapstation.com. Thanks for joining me, Boots Riley. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, man. So, no problem. I, I want to start out by getting, if you could just tell us what your definition of revolution revolutionary music is, just for the listeners that might not know. I believe that the, the kind of society I want to make is one where the people democratically control the wealth that we create with our labor. That means that the working class has to take control of the system and we have and in order for that to happen um people are going to have to uh collectively run this this uh economic system and we're going to have in order to do that we're going to have to take physical control of uh, the facilities that we work at mm. And rearrange uh, the way that profit flows. And in order to do that, um, people are going to have to understand um, the class nature of the system. People are going to have to understand that exploitation is the primary contradiction of capitalism, not consumerism, but exploitation is the primary contradiction. Once you understand that, then you understand the power. That the that the person that's working at a job actually has, and so um, the key is not just to understand this relationship, but the key is also to feel powerful enough to change this relationship, and to to understand that you know the workers can withhold labor and change the situation through just that. And to understand that through examples, not just through uh, hearing about it theoretically, but to see examples of that. So where the music comes in, for music to be revolutionary, it has to be music that encourages uh, the withholding of labor as a tool for social change. Of course, in an organized way. I don't mean just a quick job. But, uh, you know, it has to... It has to encourage. It has to not just be about anger and frustration. It has to uh, highlight the actual possibilities and highlight the actual power that we have. And when you do that, often uh, you're going to be optimistic. And so that's one reason why the cruise music, you know, is often like confused with party music or is... uh, often uh, seen as being happy because it is it's optimistic. That doesn't mean that we're not facing, that we're not involved right now in a deadly system. That just means that we know we can change it. You've said in a, a past interview that um, what, what is important to you about music slash art is that it feels emotionally true to you at first. 
So it doesn't mean like if you hear revolutionary music doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to like it. And if you, there's also music that's non-revolutionary music that you said you like. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious, how, how do you know when something is emotionally true? I mean, for yourself, what, what are you hearing in the music that you're loving? I, it feels passionate. I, I don't, you know, I don't really know that it doesn't feel, um, it, it, it's not a technical thing, right? you know, it's, uh, and it, and it's not removed, you know, a lot of times. And, and, and I think, you know, I, I made a name for myself making, you know, uh, witty, very involved or clever lyrics, you know, like a lot of times lyricists, I consider to be lyricists because of being clever and, and, and clever in specific ways, specific ways that have to do with uh, similes, which a lot of times those similes are called metaphors but they're not, they're similes, and uh, sometimes with metaphor. And uh, and doing these real technical things that actually subtract you, you know, separate you from the actual, and the actual emotion that you're feeling. And it doesn't, it doesn't speak to some simple truths, but what it does is it kind of gets that, oh, this, you know, like, oh, he's technically good. He can do this and do that. And, you know, it's like the difference between watching gymnastics and watching dancing, right? right. You know, gymnastics is technically, they can sometimes do a lot more than dancers can do. Right, right. But dancers feel what they're doing, feel what they're, they're doing. And, um, you know, um, and so in order to be that technical and that clever and that witty, you know, we're just thinking about how to impress people, which is, there's something to be said for that, whatever, you know. A lot of what we do is to impress people. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, if I'm trying to make a piece of art that, that, that really, really puts forward how I feel, you know, I'm not going to want to be disengaged from it enough to just stick with the clever, witty stuff. You know, one reason that I, I don't, one reason that I don't like spoken word and, you know, um, and, and, you know, a lot of times I never believed written poets. Like, I didn't get into a lot of, I read a lot of poetry, but I didn't get into it because I didn't believe the poet. Oh, I could tell they were trying to impress me. Right? right? Like, you don't really feel this. You're writing something so that I can, you know, so that, that, that I can feel that you're a good writer. That's two different things. I mean, think about the music that really moves you. Like, the singing songs or whatever, the soul, the funk, the, even the, the pop and the, 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 uh, the rock music. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, wow, their lyrics are so clever, you know. Like, you, you know, people are writing stuff and you can hear them thinking. And that's cool. That's one sort of way. And that's something I've done a lot of. But I think I moved on to actual songwriting. Right. You know. I actually want to go uh, in your the last album. Sorry to bother you. Um, it seems like you take on personas and kind of like a magical reality. Uh, and I think a good example of this is in the song "We Got a Lot to Teach You," Cash Green. 
I was wondering, okay. I was, yeah. I was wondering whether your broader exposure to kind of new audiences and new experiences in your career have shaped the stories you kind of feel conf more confident in telling. No, I think it's just trying to tell new stories, mm. right? <laughs> you, you know, you you just uh, you know you like. I'm not gonna want to write another fat cat and big fish. I'm not gonna write want to write another me and Jesus ten from the seventy nine Granada last night. I want to write new stories that have uh, different plot lines. That song is also um, supposed to be a dream that a character in uh, the, the film version of Sorry to Bother You, I, I wrote a script, um, screenplay, that actually is coming out on McSweeney's, in McSweeney's Quarterly at the end of August. Oh, right. Oh, right. Um, and, and it, uh, anyway, and, and so the main character is Cassius Green. And uh, in that he's having, it, it doesn't happen in the movie, but the song is supposed to be a nightmare that he has. Um, however, but but it's it's a story in and of itself. And um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, don't, I think what motivates me more is trying to just be excited about what I'm doing. And for me to be excited about what I'm doing, you know, I have to, I have to do new things. I have to challenge myself. I have to explore new textures and and uh, storylines and you know and and ways of writing. As the monster stood before his colleagues, he sang angelically and wiped the blood off his fangs. The papers on the boardroom table were stained from corpses piled on top of them slain. One monster yelled at me, you've got the brains, and traced his claw along the table's wood grain. It smelled like leather, old spice and pain. His assistant, when yanked by choke chain, explained. I want to actually go in. Uh, I want to ask you about a song you just mentioned, uh, "Me and Jesus, the Pimp in a '79 Granada last night off of Steal This Album." Uh, yeah. One, I think it's an amazing song, but also I think the video the video is equally as amazing. Um, there's always been a sense for me that you're kind of following the rap tradition of kind of like a slick Rick. Is my sense correct there? Well, I mean, in those songs, definitely. Like, I mean. You can't do a storytelling rap without studying Slick Rick. Um, you know, he, he had long storytelling raps that were done in ways that uh, that made you interested in him, not just for the, the stick along with the story, but, you know, he, he definitely made that very popular. Him and Ice Cube mm. are probably who I would say are the best storytellers in, in, in rap. Um, and uh, so those two definitely were on my mind with that one. And then uh, another storytelling one um, from from uh, uh, Pick a Bigger Weapon was We Are the Ones and Ivy put on a fake British actress right. in honor of Slick Rick on that one. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Uh, uh, those, those are definitely influences. But again, whenever you're doing any of that stuff, my the goal is not to to copy, but to take it somewhere else. Right. 
And so, you know, that's, and so a lot of what went into that song, for instance, is the fact that, you know, I, when we got our, our record deal the first time, I was in school for, for uh, filmmaking. And making a movie was, uh, cost a lot of money. I could just write songs a lot for a lot cheaper than that. And, uh, so, um, make, so writing that, that song, um, writing me and Jesus, the pimp in the 79 Granada last night allowed me to, to put a lot of, uh, literary and, 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 and references to cinema in the way that I told the story. Um, and then I also, again, like trying to take it to another level. The story actually has a lot of layers to it, a lot of metaphoric layers to the thing um, and, and a lot of wordplay. And it, it has nothing to do with, with uh, religion, although uh, a woman took to uh, Monique Morris, she took the, uh, the uh, storyline and made it into a novel called Too Beautiful for Words, and she had that focus more on religion. But that, that wasn't what I was talking about in the song. Cool. I want to talk a little bit more about some of the other uh, records that I really have liked from the group. Um, Tiffany Hall and Violet, uh, two different tracks, but they really stand out to me in terms of because you're. It sounds like you're you're really addressing a person. Um, are these tracks about one person in general? Or are they meant to be told as a story about a bunch of people you've kind of encountered in your life? Well, Tiffany Hall was actually a person that I went to uh, school with. Went to San Francisco State. Um, Chuck probably doesn't know this, but Chuck, she she also was part of the crew that would help bring Chuck to San Francisco State to speak. Um, and but so that uh, she's a real person. And as soon as I heard that she died, I the, the, the melody just hit me, hmm. and the, the words, uh, the, the melody and the words of the chorus hit me. And uh, and then I wasn't I I like made part of it. And I wasn't going to do it because it just seemed, I don't know, it seemed strange to me to make a song. Um, it, it seemed a little opportunist to me that, that to make a song from this tragedy. And, and I talked to her mother about it, and her mother just asked me to please finish the song. And so that part even made it into the lyrics. So, um, yeah, that was real. Um, Violet is a story about one person. Um, it's a violet story about a prostitute. Oh, okay. And uh, it's not a real person, though. Oh, okay. So it's a story, you know. And, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I asked because uh, I interviewed uh, the uh, Bay, Bay Area MC uh, Locksmith about, uh, uh -huh. about a track he did on his newest album and it was a it's like addressing a relationship but what he said was interesting was that it's a combination of relationships it's not just you know one relationship in general it's just kind of like it's too, yeah it's told as yeah well. i mean i think that's a normal songwriter's thing to do is that you know you're building a reality um based on things that you know about how the world works right uh barry white 
you know, was asked, you know, was, was you know, was, was, was asked, you know, about his songs, you know, and whether he really had relationships that were as good as the songs that, you know, that, that's what the songs represented. He was like, no, you know, <laughs> like these are about people that I wish I was in relationships with. Oh, wow. So, um, I want to, uh, I want to continue on when, when you rhyme over, uh, and this is in quotes, simple beats and not to say they're simple in terms of like easy to make. Cause I don't think they are, but more in terms of like, there's not too much going on and it really highlights your voice kind of i.e. uh wear clean draws violet and even heaven tonight um is this because you want your lyrics to really stand out more than any others in any other tracks um so it or just so happens that the bit yeah yeah, the beat you know i don't really have i don't really have a formula it's just kind of like the song do what works in the song and I don't like go you know, there are some songs that are more busy, like that detail stories like now later that now later that has a lot of stuff going on and it mind self has a lot of stuff going on in it. Um and uh you know, it, it I think it's just yeah, you know, I take it song by song with what works. Sometimes I just wanna emote that particular thing um sometimes it might be that we had a lot more in it and then that got taken then we mm. took it out because you know we stripped it down to what it really just needed to be um and and so yeah whatever choices i make will have to do with the fact uh, of of what i want to get across in that song but um you know, there's no formula to it. There's nothing where I say, okay, this song needs to be this way. Um, so, there, you know, Violet had drums in it and had a bunch of other instruments in it. And so now with that, we we broke it down to, uh, to a, there's a quartet in it, a, a string quartet, there's a French horn, um, a bass, and an electric guitar. Mm. Um, and so that, you know, I, I just do what works. And my idea of what works, I think, it, is different because the, the truth is, is that the coup has never had a hit. So for me to have a formula <laughs> that I stick to, you know, would just really not be scientific. Right. So <laughs> I just... <laughs> I just, uh, I make the stuff that feels good and, uh, you know, and I'm open to, because I was a, you know, started out as a producer, you know, I would listen to thousands of records and, uh, and, and enjoy it. Like we would just go to the 50 cent bin, to the dollar bin and just buy records based on the cover or based on the name that sounded good. And I learned music through that and um, listen to a lot of stuff when we were first searching. We would be searching for samples. And so then um, I got into doing that and then learned how to, like, so for instance, this last album, a lot of the songs are started out by me just making a bass line on a keyboard or uh, or some chords or whatever, you know, and that with the last album too, with Take a Bigger Weapon, 
that happened a lot too. And then my friend Damien uh, will come add some chords in on on this or that, or you know, or, or on the guitar. Um, so you know, a lot of it came organically. But the the education around that, around and the openness to all these kinds of music, came from. Um, being a, a, a producer who had to then had to study what these other records did to figure out what I wanted to do, you know. All right. You mentioned before you said uh, the coup has never had a big hit, so obviously you don't you don't follow a certain formula. But what I was wondering is, um, especially with the current state of commercial radio and the chances of of, of the coup being played you know, are slim to none, it seems like, right? Um, do you guys yeah. do you guys still hold out hope that you guys will be played on commercial radio, or are you kind of just content? No, because here's the thing. We have been played on commercial radio one time in two different cities. With Fat Cats and Bigger Fish, um, this girl Mona Lisa Murray, somehow, I don't know how she did it, but she got us on Power 106. Wow. Power 106 was playing us, uh, at least every couple hours, right? It was to the point where I would get tired of it when I went to L.A. This is in L.A. <laughs> and in L.A., while they were playing us, we got, we, and, and we also were played on Chicago at the same time. I forget, what, the first lady, I forget the name of her radio show, uh, her, her station, but that, that, that station and L.A. played us. In those two markets where we got played, each market sold 5,000 crew albums per week, wow. okay. right? So the point is, why wouldn't we, why, you know, that proves what would happen if we got played on the radio. Right, of course, yeah. But we, we didn't get played on the radio, and part of it is the fact that we had connections to real organizations, you know, mm -hmm. to real organizations, so that... Because I think that that's the part of it that, that music is missing. That's the thing is that, you know, um, you have to be connected to organizations and campaigns because otherwise it's just ideas. Otherwise it's just like professors talking about revolution. That's no better than what artists are doing, you know, because, you know, we're not connected to anything that people can connect to in a real way. But, you know, the coup, what we've tried to do is maintain connections with organizations and campaigns that once folks like our music, then, then uh, you know, it makes it easier for, for organizations and campaigns to get folks involved. I want to kind of change gears a little bit and talk about... Um you're kind of you're, the inf what influences you in music and your writing process. Um, so the first question is how, if at all, how, if at all, have your politics changed over the years? And if your politics have changed, how has that influenced your music? Um, let's see. I don't think my politics have really changed much over the years. I think that, uh, I think a lot of people misconstrue a lot of our politics to fit into what, you know, what they thought it was supposed to be. So, for instance, I mean, people listen to music. Well, our first single came out, Not Yet Free. And it was very slow and low. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the reviewer said, um, this is more gangster rap from Oakland, right? Because right. they heard the beat and decided just based on that. Similarly, when people hear, see certain imagery or hear certain phrases, they, they, you know, people thought we were a, a nationalist group, you know, uh, and so, you know, uh, similarly, people think that the Black Panthers were a nationalist group. Right. And they weren't. They were an internationalist group. They were communists, right? Right. Um, and so people had certain assumptions about what we were talking about. Um, also, what we've always talked about is that the working class must overthrow the ruling class. What that also, what that means is is that there's a certain methodology, there's a certain um, strategy to organizing um, that, that um, because we use the term revolutionary, people think that that means that we're down for, that, that means that we think uh, anything that has a revolutionary aesthetic is effective and uh and and so they're like oh your politics have changed no you know this is i i've always been about strategy and program and that's what we put forward um some of my music has been about people envisioning getting to a point where it's about the battle in the street um but um like i always say like, like I said in, in one song, uh, in, in Ride the Fence, bring the people with you. That's the protocol. Right. right. It says, I'm down for running up in Congress saying, fuck it all, but bring the people with you. That's the protocol. So bringing the people with you, um, that, that means doing things that get people involved in stuff, not just showing that you are the revolutionary and that you what you're doing is the answer. No, that means organizing at your place of work. Hmm. And that means starting with ways that people can get involved right here and now. Because, you know, so a lot of folks have, have put their idea, what they were told in school that a movement was about or what they were told, you know, what they were told that we were about, they put that on to our politics, but there's not really any place that people can, uh, it, 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 you know, so uh, I'm sure I've changed. I've changed what I think. It, it, but in the sense that I've changed, it's been that I think more is possible mm -hmm. in a shorter time than I thought was possible before. Anti-Christ, they anti-social point in 